Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. I've been thinking about this Bible study for quite a while and wanting to address, usually at this time I'll give you a couple minutes of an update of what has transpired in just the last, not week, but last couple days. And sure enough, this morning, or yesterday morning, the 10th, um, Judy comes up to me and uh, we get Curtis Bauer's uh, weekly briefing, which I would strongly encourage you to get, only to find out that his main verse is one of my main verses this morning. And that was yesterday. So I'm gonna be referring to it. I wish I could refer to all of it. I had to pick and choose which ones I wanted to weave into our study this morning. But um, if you're in Philippians um, 10, Paul already read for us, not this Paul, but that Paul, already read for us um, uh, the text and we'll be coming back to it. But we're gonna take a diversion And a good portion of the study we're going to come back to after we get past verse 12 that's going to deal, um, and I'll probably repeat this a couple times this morning, what are born-again believers to do? And where is the balance as believers? And how do we respond in our actions and our attitudes to current events? And I want to address that issue this morning. But the main thing is still going to be the main thing. I've called this pressing on for a reason. No matter what's going on, we're pressing on. Good place for an amen. Is that a Dave Hawking amen? Try it again. That's better. This is an important issue. Attitudes and action in light of what's um, happening in our world today. But if you're in Philippians 3, just a little uh, uh, preview of where we've been and where this chapter takes us. We have uh, seen the philosophy of Christian living. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Philippians 1, 21. We have seen the pattern for Christian living. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that was Philippians 2, verse 5. Now we come to the prize for Christian living, which is summarized in Paul's personal testimony. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and that's verse 14, which we'll be getting to this morning, in this chapter. We will see in this chapter that Paul charged his Um, changed his bookkeeping system of the past. Uh, He changed his purpose for the present, and he changed his hope for the future. Paul believed that God was going to establish a kingdom on this earth. He never changed his view on that, but he did see that there is a marvelous and wonderful hope for believers in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, the day when Christ will take out of this world his own. And my friends, I I personally believe that we're already past and I'm amazed at the Lord's patience that we're still here. 
um, it appears that Paul is about to close his letter. If you look at verse one, he says, finally, my brother. Um, But it's not the last chapter. Chapter four is. It appears that Paul is about to close his letter, finally, my brethren, chapter three, verse one, when he launches into a warning about the continual problem of legalism. And that's gonna be verses one through nine, which we will cover this morning. Paul refutes this teaching with revealing autobiographical details about his own personal attainment, attainments in Judaism compared to the goal of knowing Christ. Those pursuits are nothing in comparison. True righteousness is revealed through faith, uh, not by mechanical obedience to any law, and Paul yearns for the promise attained of the resurrected body. So if we look at the first six verses here, I'll comment on it, but I want to read them first, where he does say, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, Paul nailed it when he got up here just talking about the importance of joy and that we're to rejoice in all things. But the reality is, there's many times we talked about Aphrodite's, Paul praying for him, he wasn't healed, he almost died. We've talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We went through the whole litmus of what he had gone through, um, whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, the list goes on and on and on. And um, um, there were times the Lord didn't answer his prayer especially when he was buffeted by a messenger of Satan. And he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times. I don't like it. I went out from it. And the Lord answered his prayer by saying, nope. Paul, you've just been to heaven. And I gotta keep you humble. Or I can't use you if you're not humble. So I'm gonna allow this thorn in the flesh. And he was troubled before. He was pouring out his heart. Lord, take this away from me. I don't like it. I don't want it. Get it out. And when he explained to him, no, Paul, I can't do that. Because um, you've just been to heaven. I don't want you to to be high-minded or anything because then I can't use you anymore. And when Paul heard that, he said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I'm going to let the sword remain. What was his attitude after hearing that? Well, his attitude before was, Lord, get rid of it. His attitude after God had spoken to him after three times, he rejoiced. He says, Lord, you're talking to me. You're explaining the reason, so praise the Lord. What's your point, Dwight? You can be going through hard times and not see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I know the song, I'm trying to think of the artist. Heidi's been chiding me this week for not wearing my hearing aids because she says it's affecting your memory, Dwight, so you need to wear wear them more. (laughs) I'm not kidding. She told me that this morning. I said, you just wait till you're my age, young lady. (laughs) Seasons of the soul. Who sang it? Come on, Paul, who sang Seasons of the Soul? Uh, (laughs) That's right. I'll remember before the study's over. But in it, there's a line that says, um, it's about the Christian life. And she says, the dark is just the middle, not the end. 
and I think it's one of the greatest lines in Christian music, talking about the seasons of the soul and what we go through in life. And, um, you know, you start out, there's nothing experiencing your first love when you first get saved. Nothing like it. But as she talks about the Christian life, she says, the dark is just the middle, not the end. I think it's one of the greatest lines ever written because it's so true. And uh, that's what the Bible study is about this morning. Um, So, as we look at this, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And then he uses this word, beware. And I want to make it be a a part of our study. Uh, Paul and I were talking about um, different songs, and one of them that he was going to sing is about deception. And that's one of the key things that we're going to see in the last days. And I want to highlight verse 2, the word where the Lord tells us to beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the mutilation. What he is referring to here is the legalism that comes with being a Jew and being circumcised. For we are of the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Now he's giving a litmus test of his background. He says, I was circumcised as a Jew on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and concerning the law, and this blows my mind, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is by the law, catch this, blameless. I'm going to stop there at verse 6 and make this comment. Paul is saying if anyone could get to heaven by being, doing good works and keeping the law, he's in the front of the line. Concerning the law, blameless. I'm going to have you turn at this time before we get to verse um, 7 or 9 because now he's establishing all of his witness as being one of the best Jews that um, walked according to the law. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11, please. And um, Paul addresses this in the book of Romans. And remember that the early church, there were no Gentiles until Cornelius got saved. They were all Jews. Everybody that got saved on Pentecost, they were all Jewish. Everybody in the first church were Jewish until Cornelius comes along. And then they couldn't believe it. A Gentile can get saved? They they were astounded. So we read in verse one of Romans 11, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite and of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew Or you do not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleaded with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, 
and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. In other words, Elijah's complaining. He says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's walking with you. No, you're not. I got 7,000 people that you don't know about that are, have not bowed their kneel, uh, or knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And here's the key verse. And if it's by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it's of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer works. I mean, he's saying you can't have it both ways. If you want to be a Christian, Paul's giving his litmus of his qualifications as a Jew, and what I would say about that, if anybody's going to get to heaven um, by works, it would be Paul. So let's go back to Philippians and um, pick it up in verse 7 through 9. So he, he talks about all the things that he's accomplished being a Jew, but in verse 7 he says, but what things were gained for me? Well, the things that we just talked about. These things I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. In other words, all my good works, everything I ever did was good or I thought was good. I mean, most of the people that you know, if you ask them, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I think I am. Why are you going to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I use this often. Sometimes people think God judges on a curve. I'm not as good as that guy over there, but I'm not as bad as that guy over there. So my good works outweigh my bad works, so I'm probably in. You're probably not. Matter of fact, I'll probably say you're definitely not. You see, my friends, it's either one or the other. Either it's the finished work of, um, Paul's got a call, song called Tetelestai. It is finished. It's over period. And you can't add to it and you can't take away from it. And if you put yourself or I put myself in any part of that equation, you will eliminate yourself. It is either all the work of the cross or something that I have done. What does Paul say? I count all the past as dung. Literally, that's the word there. That I might gain Christ and the excellency of the knowledge that it's not about you, but it's about what he did and what that does, the verse that comes to mind, is you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you, don't, if you put yourself in the equation, you're gonna find some problem where the enemy's gonna be sitting on your shoulder reminding you of all your past sins, and you won't be free. But if it's grace, and you're out of the equation, then you've known the truth, and you'll be able to live a free life. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's all about this freedom that we have. I count it all lost for the excellency. He calls it rubbish here. I wonder if he's a Brit. Rubbish. (laughs) That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. This was Paul's, this is what the whole book of Hebrews is about, trying to get this through the thick head 
of the tradition. And there's so many people that have been in institutionalized churches. The grooves are so deeply ground in that when they find out, oh, I mean, I don't have to be baptized as a baby to go to heaven? Yeah, that's right. You don't have to be baptized. But the denomination that I grew up in, that was part of the equation of going to heaven. No infant baptism? You're not, you can't make it. Well, you can defeat that argument very easily. The thief on the cross. No good works. Never said the sinner's prayer. He had nothing going for him. He was a thief. But he said, Lord, Lord, will you remember me when you get into your kingdom? And he said, today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. It was all about the finished work of the cross. Another good place for an amen. It'll set you free, my friends. It'll set you free. All right, now, um, 10 to 12, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained. Now, this is important here or am already perfected. This means you're gonna be, we call it sanctification. Justification is one thing. When you first get saved, you're justified. We sing this song. Just as though you'd never sinned. When you accept Jesus and say, Lord, come into my heart, you are justified. And God looks at you as a chaste virgin, white as snow. But then there's sanctification. That's something different. That's an ongoing progress in your Christian life where he's changing you, as the Bible would say, from glory to glory. And you go from drinking the milk to eating the meat. Is everybody tracking with me? But they're two different things altogether. And so here, he is admitting that. He said, even though I had all these good things going for me, um, I know I'm not perfected. I have not attained and nobody in this room, myself or anybody else, is ever gonna be perfect. Even though, according to the scriptures, you are perfect. We're talking 2 Corinthians 5, where we call it the great exchange. He took my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. The great exchange. And that's how he views you and me this morning. And so he admits in verse 12, I have a, comma there and the title of his message is called press on but before we get to it this is where we're going to do a little sidetrack and try to talk about current events and as born again believers what should our actions be and what should our attitudes be as we look at these things so with that being said Let's turn to where he says, let's read um, verse uh, 12. This would, uh, let's call verse 12 up to perfected 12a. And I got a comma and stop and we'll be coming back to it. I'm gonna have you turn to Matthew chapter 24 at this time and give you a sort of an outline of the last days. Only four verses we're gonna look at. In verse seven, 
No, I want to pick it up in verse 4. Because in chapter 3, verse 2 of Philippians, remember he said, beware, look out. And so here we read in verse 4 of Matthew 24, take heed that no one deceives you. This will be repeated four times in Matthew chapter 24. In other words, one of the last major events to look at as a sign is deception. And then he goes on to say, for I say many will come in my name saying I am the Christ, will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And then he says this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. At this point, I would like to take a look to what our attitude and our actions should be in the light of current world events. We're talking about famines, pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. I was talking to Chris Quintana, and I said, what's, what's up with you guys having earthquakes in Texas? You realize they just had an earthquake in Texas last week? Yeah, in diverse places. And um, so this morning I'd like to look at world-changing events but from a biblical perspective. You know, it says in Ephesians that one of our jobs as pastor teachers is to equip the saints. For what reason? To do the work of ministry. You know how open people are right now? And wanting to know, they know something's going on, but they don't have a biblical perspective of why it's going on. What I'm about to talk about this morning has to happen, is happening, and people are open right now, and they're asking questions. So this is sort of a balance between action and attitude so that it helps equip the saints to explain, well, the Bible is nothing new. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and the gal was, uh, I was cutting, cutting my hair. We asked her about some of the things that are are happening here, we're talking about Christmas. And she says, are you guys more busy on Christmas time? And I said, yeah. And I said, because of the CEOs. And she says, what are you talking about? What is a, what is a CEO? And I said, Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> she laughed, she got a big kick out of it. And uh, she says, well, I'm kind of guilty on that one. Uh, somebody could take my seat. But the thing is, I started talking about current events, and she was an open book. She was an open book. Uh, Judy's been witnessing to her too, and giving out God of Wonders, and people are open um, because they know something is coming down, but they don't know why. And what I'm talking, going into this morning, is there's people out there that are well-meaning, they're well-intended, they have just enough Bible knowledge to make themselves dangerous, okay? Good people that I respect and look up to actually think we're gonna get through all this and then we're gonna come back and everything's gonna be fine sooner or later. 
And I have to tell them straight out, that's not gonna happen. These are the beginning of sorrows. God's plan is unfolding as we're seeing the things that are taking place in the great tribulation begin to happen right now. So the question obviously is how late is it anyway? Answer to that is very late. So with that being said, um, I'd like you to turn as we talk about famines and pestilences and, and earthquakes, let's turn to Revelation chapter six. This would be, the church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation except in the first three chapters. You'll notice if you have a red letter Bible, it's all red because he's speaking to the church. But then when you get to chapter four, five, and six, and so forth, you find it's in the black. Chapter six is the opening of the first seal, the rider on a white horse is the Antichrist. And you will not know who the Antichrist is. We'll never know who the Antichrist is. People have their speculations. But we're not gonna be here when a peace treaty is signed with Israel for seven years. Then and only then will you know who the Antichrist is. And we can't be here. I believe the, the rapture's in Revelation chapter four, verse one, where the Lord says to John, come up here, John. And he finds himself in heaven. And the church is mentioned in, in uh, chapter four, but they're in heaven. They're singing a new song, we've been redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and you've made us kings and priests to our God. Well, where's the church? Well, they're in heaven. And as soon as we're in heaven, then you have verse one of chapter six, and you have the Antichrist coming out on the scene, and he's going out to conquer, and to be conquered. This whole Bible study within itself. Chapter two, the rider and a fiery red horse and was granted to take peace from the earth. And so I would put that in the category of Matthew 24 of wars and rumors of wars. We'll get into more detail with that later. The third seal was a pair of scales in their hand and I heard a voice from heaven saying a measure uh, I heard a voice in the midst of heaven from the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarii. That's a day's wages, but do not harm the oil or the wine. That's a very interesting voice, uh, verse in the Bible. I paid $7 plus for a pound of hamburger this last week. And uh, most of you, that go out shopping know that the prices are escalating to the point where eventually the middle class is gonna be gone. So it's gonna take you your whole day's wages to buy a loaf of bread. And we're beginning to see that right now. But on the other hand, it says don't hurt the oil or the wine. I would say people that are very, very wealthy, where it's not gonna affect them very, very much. But the average person who goes and works is uh, nine to five, and is struggling right now and thinking about as he's looking at his budget, this is not looking good, it's going in the wrong direction. And he's beginning to see that there's troubling times ahead if things continue as they are. 
but I'm more interested in the fourth seal because the first three talk about wars, inflation, but the fourth seal says, and he opened the fourth seal and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And I looked and behold the pale horse and on the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed after him and power was given over him to a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Now the reason I went to Matthew 24 is I want to tie in wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, which I call COVID, not the disease, but the vaccine, and um, earthquakes. And as a result of these things happening, it says that one quarter of the earth's population will be killed with hunger, with death, or famine, and by the beasts of the earth. Just within the last month, they said, we just crossed the eight billion population of the earth. One quarter of eight billion is two billion. So where we're at right now is we have had an event that I don't think people realize as uh, um, Paul and Heidi were talking about this and discussing it, they're staying in our house and um, different reasons and um, one of the comments that came up is why isn't anybody doing anything about this? Why, why are people so complacent? People are saying, can't you see what's happening? What's coming down? And I said two words, normality, bias. Does everybody understand what I said when I said that? Normality, bias. We are American Christians. It's not this way in Sri Lanka. I've been in Sri Lanka. Their economy has completely collapsed. And uh, it's, di- it's divided in two. You have candy in the north, and you have the capital of, of Colombo in the south. But their economy is completely collapsed. And there's other ones around the world, and I can't get sidetracked because there's too many of them that are tanking right now economically. Uh, Sri Lanka is one of them uh, that has already tanked. But it tells us here that one quarter of the earth, so if we're at eight billion right now, one quarter of eight billion is two billion. And um, those that are part of the agenda of depopulizing the earth is something that has never happened in our world before. Nothing has even come close to what has happened in the last two years. And we talk about it and we kid about it, but never in world history has the world been affected by a pestilence that has affected the whole world. And it really wasn't the COVID-19 flu is what I call it. That wasn't the problem. The problem was with the vaccine and how they manipulated the whole world One of my big problems with Israel right now and people that are there is that they're all in on getting vaxxed. You know people that have lost their jobs because they said, I won't take it. Or they were forced to take it to keep their job. And we have fear tactics being put on people for what reason? Manipulation. And because we do have the normality bias, That means we're biased to we want things normal. 
<laughs> um, Paul and I were talking about chemtrails. And he said, have you noticed the increase in chemtrails? So I pulled up a picture that I got from somebody that sent it to me in Arizona, and there's just chemtrails all over. The whole sky is full of chemtrails. It says, today. And then it said, there's a picture of a beautiful blue sky underneath it, and this was when you were young. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing the difference between the two. Paul was telling me about his uh, garden that he had last year, or it was last year, year before. Last last year, he says, great garden, man. Our garden was just great, and our neighbor's garden was great, and we're growing great. And this year, this just not happening. And um, he got talking about chemtrails and the aluminum that's in them, and it's actually having an effect on our food source, intended to be so. And that's another sidetrack that's not in my notes, so I gotta be careful. Um, But my point with this is that when all is said and done between the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the jab, uh, I'll be talking about a little bit more, millions um, have become disabled um, from, well, I got it. This is Curtis Bauer's newsletter from yesterday, and I got my notes to turn to page three here. And it reads, uh, Rand Paul, Fauci responsible for seven million deaths. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci of causing seven million people to die by funding uh, gain-of-function research in communist China. Paul said, uh, for the last two years, he's been covering his tracks, but we've got him red-handed, and he's not going to get away. Historically, he will be remembered uh, for one of the worst judgments in the history of modern medicine. During Fauci's uh, deposition for the lawsuit against the Biden administration collusion with social media companies, Fauci stated, I don't recall 174 times. Well, I don't remember that one. Oh, I don't remember that one either. I don't remember that one. And he said it 174 times. I don't think he's telling the truth. Anybody here think he is? If you do, I got a bridge for you for sale in New York City. Sell Sell it to you nice and cheap. Um, and then it goes on and talks about when lab scientists blew the whistle on COVID-19 in his book. By the way, this is yesterday's news from Curtis Bowers, so it's fresh. Um, when the one lab scientist blew the whistle on COVID-19 origins in his book, The Truth About Juan, Dr. Andrew Huff, the former vice president of ECO Health Alliance, says that the COVID-19 was a genetically engineered agent. Huffu calls COVID one of the world's greatest cover-ups declared the U.S. government is to blame for the transfer of dangerous biotechnological to the Chinese. I was terrified by what I saw. We were just handling um, them bioweapon technology. Dr. Huff said nobody should be surprised that the Chinese lied about the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2 
and then went to extraordinary lengths to make it appear as if the disease naturally emerged. The shocking part of all of this is how the United States government lied to all of us. Dr. Peter McCullough warns vaccines may be changing human genomes. In his recent article, Dr. McCullough warned that COVID-19 vaccines, as they exist, are not sufficiently safe and not sufficiently effective. And when I would, went to my doctor and they were twisting my arm to get it, these are the words I heard over and over and over again on the news, from the doctors, etc., etc. What do they say about the COVID vaccine? It's safe and effective. It is neither safe or effective. It's probably one of the biggest lies ever told. The shocking part is how the U.S. government lied to all of us. Dr. McCullough warns the vaccines may be changing the human genome. Um, as they exist today, COVID-19 are not sufficiently safe, not sufficiently affected for use in human population. McCullough continued, the vaccines have led to a record number of deaths. We estimate a half a million Americans have died by taking COVID-19 vaccine since it came off. McCullough said it looks like the mRNA vaccine permanently install into a human geome through what we call reverse transcription. It's conceivable that two vaccinated people could actually pass the code Pfizer or Moderna into the baby permanently. McCullough warned that the mRNA could be transferred from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated through close contact. Now our own senator. Senator Ron Johnson hosted his fourth COVID-19 roundtable featuring Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, Ed Dowd, who I'll be quoting later, Dr. Ryan Cole, and other experts, insurance um, experts, noted a record jump in excess mortality since the introduction of the COVID vaccine while doctors report an increase in heart inflammation since the start of COVID-19. And then he goes on to suggest another resource to look at. You know what I heard in the news this week? They're pushing to have the vaccine mandated to children as little as six months old. That's what they're shooting for right now, to get it down to that. And um, you know, the Bible says be angry and sin not. That makes me angry. They're killing little babies by design, and we've been lied to. And there's a time, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. And, um, and yet, there are people that I run into all the time that are still stared to death and are still wearing their masks. And um, that, that's all by design. It's preconditioning for the next thing they got coming down the pike. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I know they got something up their sleeve. Okay, let me continue. So, in Revelation, it talks about two billion people being killed. And I think one of the mechanisms that's going to be accomplishing that is going to be famines. Russia is experiencing famines right now. I believe the United States of America will be suffering famines. Uh, the most productive valley in our country, uh, in California, 
Where they raise almonds? No almonds this year. Guacamole? No, it's not guacamole. Avocados. Yeah, that's what you make it into. I knew that. I'm just testing to see if you guys are listening. <laughs> you can't find them. The, the, the central plats, plains in uh, Sacramento Valley? Yeah, Sacramento Valley. No, no rain. And so as much as 80% of almonds and, and um, avocados, you can't get them unless you want to pay eight bucks for an avocado. On and on and on. And we see that as a trend uh, going across. <clears throat> in a Mike Adams interview, um, he's uh, the health ranger. He did an interview recently with Ed Dowd, who I just quoted from Curtis Bowers. Um, gives the same numbers of people that have uh, died from it. And then he goes, but even worse, there are many more. There's 900,000 per year that are, as a result of this, having disabilities. Many millions removed from the labor force. Everybody here knows of a business that is closed or collapsed because of it. Um, consumer demand is way down. Christmas shopping this year is going to be a whole lot different than last year. Implosion of the economy, inflation over the top, and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. I want to tell the story what happened yesterday with the jab. This, this was breaking news just this week. And actually, um, uh, Heidi's got the video of it. The U.S. soccer journalist covering the World Cup was doing an interview. And he is joyful and he's happy and he's bubbly and he's, he's the announcer, the U.S. journalist, for the World Cup. And during the interview, he falls over dead. And they're saying, well, the reason they, this is a spin that our media puts on it. He has a brother who lives uh, the gay lifestyle. So he's not, but he thought he would honor his brother, so he wore a black T-shirt in, gay pride, with a soccer ball in the middle. And they said, no, 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 he didn't die that way. Somebody shot him because he was wearing that T-shirt. And I remember Paul and I looking at each other going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And, um, but that's one of how many stories have you told? One of the weird things that's going along with this is the spiritual demonic aspect of it. How many of you have seen people right before they die do something like this? And then pow. How many of you have seen that? Just raise your hand, I'm curious. Not as many as I thought. But uh, it's out there and um, they're definitely looking at something. And so I'm saying that because there's a spiritual, evil, demonic aspect to all of what's happening right now. Whether or not it's manifested by them seeing something right before they keel over. But I thought I'd mention the story of, of that journalist. All right. Some ask, in, um, as we look at Revelation 6 and 7, uh, they ask the question, so, um, are we in the tribulation right now because of all these things happening? And it's an honest question that baby Christians have. They're not really well-grounded in the Bible. 
They don't understand, 1 Thessalonians 5, that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to receive salvation. Revelation 6.17 says that the tribulation is the wrath of the Lamb. It's God's wrath being poured out. And so we have the question, which to maybe a young Christian or a non-believer, Christians talk about the tribulation. Are we in the tribulation right now? Let me be emphatic about this. We are not in the tribulation. Good place for an amen. And we will not enter into the tribulation. I think it's very late, and I think the Lord is very patient, not willing that any should perish. And that's the reason we're, I believe, still here right now. It's long-suffering of our God. But to answer that um, very directly, no, we are not in the tribulation. Having said that, but we see the Matthew 24 warning signs now. So how close are we to the rapture? If we're seeing wars and rumors of wars and famines and all these things now, then we're on the precipice. We're right there. And that's why Jesus said, watch. Make sure you're watching. The question is, Lord, what do you want us to watch for? The very things he talked about in Matthew 24. Wars, famines, earthquakes in diverse places. These are the beginning of sorrows. So the question that I'd like to jump to now, the question is, with what's just being said, is where's the balance between trusting in the Lord on one hand, with everything we see, and the attitude goes something like this. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna trust in the Lord, and that's the way it's gonna be. And there's people that have that perspective, and I'll honor their perspective if that's it. And um, on the other hand, being prepared for possible troubled days that lie ahead, and are you prepared for them? Now the reason this article that came out yesterday from Curtis Bowers, Curtis and I go back quite a ways. The verse, the verse that he starts out with is Proverbs 22.3. And when Judy gave me this, I goes, that's a verse that we're turning to right now. It was already in my notes for this morning. So if you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're looking at verse Three, this is how he starts his update. By the way, if you download this, it's eight pages long. And I've just skimmed it of things that are happening as we are currently speaking. Proverbs 22 says this, and this is what he quotes for the opening for his newsletter. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. I'm gonna put a better translation in there for you. And I believe a better translation of hides is a prudent man foresees evil and prepares himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The normality bias. They They don't see it as an issue of doing anything. But the proverb said, and what Curtis started out with, is if you're prudent. And the question comes up now, well, Does the scripture actually address this issue um, from a biblical perspective? And um, I'm gonna put a picture up right now of of things that are are happening. 
uh, very, very quickly. Uh, guys, you can go put the first one up of uh, German Chancellor Merkel. Uh, what happened? It's, there she is right here. And then I'm going to put up, and um, it'll hopefully encourage you guys to download this. You can see the websites there. But the, the headline says, uh, German Chancellor Merkel admits the Minsk agreement was to trick Russia. Merkel was basically said that the Minsk agreement, now this was an agreement between Germany and France and NATO members um, to have a peace treaty with Russia. And what she went on national television in Germany, she makes a statement. She says Merkel basically said that the Minsk agreement was to buy time for Ukraine to build up its army and never was there any intention of allowing the Russians in the Donbass, I'm gonna have another picture put up right now so you can see where this region is. Okay, there's two states that are on the western side of Ukraine. They speak Russian. They wanna go back to Russia. And they made their own referendum they voted on it, and when they voted on it, they voted to be reunited with Russia. Putin accepted their request and annexed uh, what is called the Donbass area. And um, so from 2014, 2015, there's been an ongoing war by the Ukrainians on a daily basis bombing civilians in these two breakaway states. By the man of the year, President Zelensky. And what he's been doing since 2015 is bombing these two breakaway states, civilian targets, and uh, the leadership in, and make no doubts about this, be a Brian, do your own homework, that the leadership in the military and in the government when Putin addresses this issue, he says, we don't want to deal with the Ukrainian people. We want to denazify the leadership. That's the goal. And they've been real low-key, trying to negotiate, trying to make settlements, and we've turned them down at every step of the way. But I don't know if you guys can wrap your head just how big this announcement by uh, Chancellor Merkel is. She comes right out and says, we were lying to you. We had no intentions of keeping this agreement. We were buying time. Let me finish reading the article. We're buying time for Ukraine to build up its army and never was there any intention of allowing the Russians in the Dubas to vote on their own future. Merkel admitted that they negotiated in bad faith with Putin simply to allow Ukraine time to fortify itself, thereby buying time to build its army she also said that at the time NATO was weak and could not provide support to Kiev to the extent they do currently. The Minsk agreement was signed to pretend to resolve the Donbass conflict. And then you have pictures of Putin responding to this. I personally believe you knew all along, but he comes out on record as saying we've been lied to. 
And his response this week in his, well, let me go on. I need to read just a little bit more. In truth, during the final signing of the agreement in Minsk, um, Belarus, the Ukrainian authorities had promised to commit to reforming their constitution, granting autonomy to Luhansk and Donetsk, allowing them to hold local elections in both regions to establish their own independent governments. Yet, the Western press calls the Russian action an invasion of Ukrainian territory when Ukraine has refused to honor their word and to negotiate in bad faith for the outset. Make no mistakes about it. The Ukrainians would create a genocide and slaughter every last Ukrainian Russian as they uh, immediately died in Odessa. Now Zelensky is desperate to create World War III for Ukrainian hatred of Russia. No different than the whole issue involving the Serbs versus Austrians that started World War I. This is a repeat of something that's already happened in history that started World War I. It's the same platform, same diagram, same, same goals. We are to die and risk nuclear war for Ukraine that has never been anything but deceitful. We are being played for fools, period. And, um, and the American public really just really doesn't have a grasp of, of what's happening right now. Okay, so how are we to respond to this? Um, remember, the Bible study is about um, attitude and actions. What should our attitude be? What should our actions should be? I'm going to have you turn with me, if you would please, to an Old Testament example of what I think is happening right now. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, picking it up in verse 15. Let me set the stage here. I got a whole series about Joseph going to Egypt. It's called From the Pit to the Pinnacle. And Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ 110 times. When you read the last um, 10, 15 verses of the book that deal with just Joseph. This is just one of the stories here. So, you know, he ends up in prison being falsely accused by Potiphar. Um, and he ends up in prison. A couple of guys in prison has uh, dreams and... and um, Joseph interprets a dream. Uh, one of you is going to die. The other one's going to be set free. And it happened. And as they're leaving prison, Joseph says to the one that got set free, he says, please remember me. I'm in here. I'm innocent. I shouldn't be here. But he forgot. And two years goes by. All right, let's pick it up now in verse 15. Pharaoh has a dream. And I'm just going to encapsulate the first 15 verses. And he calls in all his wise men for counsel. He said, I had this dream. Guys, tell me what it means. And they basically say, tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, you're not going to get that out of me. And, uh, but one of the guys said, ding, the lights go on. And uh, verse 9, it says, then the chief butler spoke to the pharaoh and saying, I remember my faults this day. I was supposed to tell you about this guy named Joseph. 
He interpreted our dreams. And his interpretations were spot on. And I'm here, and he says, well, go call for this, Joseph. So let's pick it up in verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, Is it not in me? God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Notice that he doesn't take credit for this. He says, I can't do it, but God can. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on a bank by the river, and suddenly there were seven cows that came out of the river, oh, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them. They were poor, very gaunt, ugly, and I, never, and I have never seen anything like it in all of Egypt. And then it says, the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one had known that they had been eaten, for they looked just as ugly as before. So I spoke, and I saw in my dream, and suddenly there were seven heads on one stalk. Let's just say for sake that it's corn. Full and good. Then behold, there were seven heads that were withered thin, blighted by the east wind, and sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. And so I told this to my uh, uh, sorcerers or his counselors, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, and God has shown to Pharaoh what is about he is about to do. At this point, I wanna flash you back to Matthew 24, when the disciples said, when are you coming and what are, good, what are the signs going to be? And he told them straight out what to look for. And now, Joseph is going to explain to the Pharaoh what's about to happen. Joseph said to the Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years and the dream are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh, and God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. I believe the Lord has showed the church what he's about to do and what to look for. And there's only one generation in the last 2,000 years, according to Matthew 24, the parable of the fig tree, that would be the sign that it would be that generation. Let me quote a video that Pastor Chuck made in 1973 called The Parable of the Fig Tree, where he takes it and shows the regathering of the nation of Israel back into the land. And the generation that sees that happen will be the generation that sees the fulfillment of all Bible prophecies. And I do equate the two. Let's go on in verse 29. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will arise, and the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete 
the land. So the plenty will not be known for the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then the food shall be a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servant, can we find such a man like this in whom the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be master over you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set over you all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in a garment, fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, made him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, um, what you're looking at in your Bible right now. <laughs> oh, Zephanath Pania. Butchered that one. And he gave him as his wife the daughter of Padaphera, priest of On. And Joseph went over all the land of, G- uh, of Egypt. And Joseph was, now catch this, this is one of the 110 types of Jesus. He started this ministry when he was 30 years old. When did our Lord start his ministry? What, how did he get to where he was? From the pit to the pinnacle, he was betrayed by his brothers. And was not, they, were, they rejected him. John 1 verse 11 says, Jesus came unto his own people, and his own received him not. And this goes on over and over in the life of Joseph. And so we're told he was 30 years old, and Joseph went out in the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly, so he gathered all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, and laid up every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sands of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was without number. And to Joseph was born two sons before the years of the famine came, uh, whom um, Asenath, the daughter of Pari 
Pharah, the priest of An, bore to him, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me to forget all my toil uh, in my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, because God has caused me to um, be faithful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land ended, and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go talk to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the household and sold to his Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt, and so all countries, not just Egypt, came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in the land. It's a lengthy story to make um, this simple point. Joseph was told by Pharaoh to prepare for the coming food shortage. Are you connecting the dots? So, as it pertains to what should we as Christians do if we're entering into the beginning of sorrows, what should our actions be? My attitude has changed over the last two years. And um, we have taken preparation, I'm not gonna get into detail, to prepare if we don't have electricity. So I bought some generators. Bought a lot of water. Um, Got a couple propane generators. And why did I do this? Because of this Bible story we just read. I know it's late. I know the Lord's coming soon. And this is just for me and my house, what we've decided to do in preparing. But one of the things that I'm supposed to do from a biblical perspective, well, has this ever happened before in the Bible? And if it did happen before in the Bible, where and when and how did they respond to it? Well, God told Pharaoh in a dream there's gonna be a shortage. There's gonna be a famine. It was God's word. And it was handed off to Joseph and Joseph said, this is what you should do. So as it pertains to what actions, I would uh, have you prayerfully consider where we are and are you prepared for such an event if the Lord would continue to tarry And the big thing that I think is gonna happen next is the collapse of the dollar, which I can't get into now because we just don't have time. So I had to be very selective. So let's go on to the next one. We'll leave that there. And I'm gonna put on the screen now uh, the WHO. Let's put that up on the screen. This is the World Economic Forum. Uh, They had a meeting this last week, last week to discuss new pandemic treaty that would unleash global medical dictatorship. And the article that goes with it, I'm just gonna read a paragraph or two. This is just unfolding this last week. The World Health Organization that we know as the WHO, Intergovernmental negotiating body has officially converged for the next, convened for the next several days to discuss the uh, conceptual zero draft 
of its proposed pandemic treaty. And we go, what pandemic? We're getting through this one. Sounds to me like they might have another one coming. From December 5th through the 7th, 2022, the WHO officials will refine their scheme to erase national sovereignty. Did you guys hear what I just said? We're talking over our president, over our constitution, they would have more authority. That's what this meeting is all about. Let it sink in. For the next several days to discuss this concept of the pandemic treaty. Um, The WHO officials will refine their scheme, good word, to erase national sovereignty and stamp out the remaining traces of personal freedoms around the world, all in the name of keeping people safe and effective against disease treated like COVID, of course. Describe it as a sneak attack similar to the 1941 surprise attack against the United States via Pearl Harbor. Judy and I watched the whole documentary on December 7th, 1941, and how it was all laid out. It was a trap, and uh, it caught us completely off guard. We were not ready for it. And um, um, this one here, of the HSO pandemic treaty takes direct aim at our personal freedoms and national sovereignty and it is hiding it in plain sight, he said. As with many other things these days, the pandemic treaty used public health as an excuse to separate people from their rights and freedoms. We already got a small taste of what is in store during the one coronavirus 19 pandemic, and much worse is on the way if the pandemic treaty becomes a reality. And we're watching this unfold right now. These meetings are a direct assault upon the national sovereignty of every nation on earth. Well, doesn't the Bible say something about a one world government? And now can you see where it begins to tie in. I could get sidetracked on the currency thing, I just don't have time to. But that's what they're trying to implement right now is a whole new currency with nations dropping the dollar and wanting to bring in a worldwide currency. Oh, sounds like Revelation 13 to me. And this is where we connect the dots for what's happening currently to what the Bible says from a biblical perspective. These meetings are a direct result an assault upon the national sovereignty of every nation on earth, um, they're warned. Um, Basic bottom line is it's a treaty, the WHO's pandemic treaty will unleash a global medical dictatorship. Then there's the one world that I'm only gonna mention these because they would be studies within themselves and and I'm gonna try to start widening this up. I said try. There's a, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. What's that all about? Oh, one world government, global, the great global reset, Revelation 13. We have the CBDC, or the Central Bank Digital Currency. Again, a cashless system. Oh, does the Bible talk about that? 
Yeah, no man can buy or sell. But we're seeing that implemented now, but it's not gonna be put into force when it's the mark of the beast. In other words, the technology exists for it right now, and if we were raptured right now, all the Antichrist would have to do is flip a switch, and he's up and ready to go. It's all set in a place. So then there's uh, the church today that has gone woke. It's seeker-sensitive. Social justice instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in, in the world today. You're not gonna have many churches talking about this subject from the pulpit and try to give you a biblical perspective from it. And I have in my notes here that um, Curtis Bauer says, uh, 78% of the church today has gone into a social gospel. 78%? I suppose we could all buy Joel Olsey's game and play Your Best Life Now. He has a game called Your Best Life Now. It's the largest church in our country, friends, 50,000 people. What does the Bible say about the last days? That people will gravitate towards people who will tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And so what should be our attitude? We talked about the action, now we're winding it up and we need to go back to the book of Philippians. In light of what we just skimmed the surface on what's going on in our world today, we talked a little about what should our actions be? Should we be preparing for things as far as actions? And what should our attitude be? Remember I said we left off on 12A and now we're on 12B. So what should our attitude be in light of all that's going on? Well, my Bible says press on. In light of all that's going on, we are to press on and keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing for the church? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. But also being, not having our heads in the stands and pretend that having this, everything's normal by us. Because it's not. It goes on to say that I may lay hold on that which Jesus Christ has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm taking a serious look at my possessions and and what to let go of and what to hold on to and where they might be better used as I see things coming together real quickly and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many that are mature have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. And then he gives us a final warning. In light of all that's taking place right now, beware, join in following my example, and note those who walk so uh, that you have us for a pattern. What was Paul's pattern? Well, he went through everything. He laid it all out. He said, I had it all, the religious wise, I gave that all up so I could have the gospel of grace. 
For many walk of whom I have told you often and tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, who God is their belly and whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things. First John, anybody who loves the world, he says the love of the Father is not in him. Ooh, that's a pretty heavy scripture. Anybody who loves this world, the love of the Father is not in that person. This world is not our home. We're only passing through. Don't worry, I'm not gonna sing. (laughs) But it's true. We are pilgrims and strangers. We are just passing through. I'm gonna ask for one more amen. It has to do with our attitude. What should our attitude be? One of looking to go home. I wanna go home. I'm sick of this world. But it shouldn't exempt us from being all out. When we used to, when I was younger and was in sports and it was a long race, um, if it was long enough, you were supposed to keep your kick till the end. In other words, if you're running the 880, you run it in such a way you pace yourself. But when you see the finish line, uh, we called it, if you didn't have a kick, you're not gonna win. In other words, have enough in your system when you see the signs that you're able to um, still have enough energy and strength to have a kick so that you can finish well. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, this is the rapture, that may be conformed to his glorious body according to the works by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now look, I know I took more time this morning than I usually do. And some of you are thinking, Dwight, you always take more time than you usually do. (laughs) But in light of what's going on, I wanted to give some sort of balanced perspective of what our actions should be in light of what's going on and what our attitudes should be in light of what's going on. And a verse that I'll leave you with and you can answer within your own heart, it says, when these things begin to happen, simple question right now, answer in your own heart, do you see these things begin to happen? And if you do, then what? Look up, your redemption is drawing nigh. That's called the blessed hope. And so you can have an attitude, what I call an attitude of gratitude in the midst of the storm. And you guys have the answers. And you're being more equipped to be able to explain from a biblical perspective. I don't know if I should be gathering stuff in, prepping and doing stuff. Well, you know, there's this interesting story in the Old Testament about Joseph. It was given by God and it saved people. It helped people. And on the other hand, we're not uh, to be doom and gloomers. Like Paul started the study with, we have the joy of the Lord because we have a blessed hope. God has not appointed you to wrath. You're not gonna see any part of the great tribulation. But in closing, we're watching things that are gonna be happening in the great tribulation happening right now. And what does it tell us in Hebrews to do in light of these things? That um, we're not to forsake 
the assembling of the saints together. Like a lot of the churches today are closing. Are you aware of that? They're closing down. And the Bible tells us when you see these things, do just the opposite. When these things begin to happen, don't forsake the the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And then it says, as you see the day approaching. So if you see the day approaching, then we're told to look up because of the blessed hope. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, I know that's a lot to take in this morning as we make our way through Philippians. But we pray for wisdom. I pray for every person here that they would be a Berean and do their own homework on what we see unfolding before our eyes. I told the gal that was cutting my hair that what I've been talking about for 40 years, I'm watching unfold right before my very eyes. And friends like Gary Kaw, who talked about this for 40 years, he's watching it unfold. People like Curtis, who's been teaching it since 91, he's watching it unfold. And many are. And Lord, we do wanna be equipped biblically to give a biblical answer to the things that we're watching unfold right now. Please help us to be used by your Holy Spirit to accomplish these things. In Jesus' name I pray. All God people said, amen.